Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, continues his series entitled, The Message and the Movement, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And today, Pastor Mike will lead us in a study of Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, with a message titled, Jesus and Worry. Hey, if this is your first time here at Rocky Peak, we just want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Pastor Mike, and we're in the midst of a series called The Message and the Movement. It's a, it's, a, it's a series on the most famous sermon ever given in the history of the world. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus laid out at the beginning of his ministry what his uh, message was about, what his um, whole movement was about, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And that's what we're, we're learning here as a church, what it looks like to follow Jesus. So today we're in Matthew chapter 6 in your Bibles. Inside of your, uh, your uh, bulletin, your program, is a white message note sheet that we use every week to help you follow along. So I encourage you to take that out, and uh, then we're going to get started. You ready to go? <laughs> I'm going to just pray and go home if that's all the energy we have in this room. Are you ready to go? Hey, all right, all right, let's pray. God, we just uh, we thank you for this day, a uh, beautiful day, Lord, that to talk about such an important topic. I'm sure Lord, that every one of us here we have things that we brought in today that we're worried about in our life. This is a, couldn't be a much more practical message. And Lord, so we pray as we come to your word and, and to see what it means to be members of your movement in, in the area of worry, we pray that you'd open our eyes to see new things and help us to move from fear to faith to freedom in our life. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, it was a long day and he was exhausted. It started early in the morning. He started the day by teaching on the shores of the western side, northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee. The, uh, the people had come all day long, and by mid-morning it was getting crazy. There were so many crowds in the area that he was getting backed up towards the water closer and closer. He was afraid of getting crushed. And so at a certain point in the day, he asked one of his men to take one of their little fishing boats and launch it out. And he launched out, and he taught offshore back to the crowds. It been a great day. It had gone really well. He told some of his most famous stories, like the one about the farmer who went out to sow his seed and the four different kinds of, of grain that came up. He, he told the one about uh, the little mustard seed, and it came into a huge tree. He told the one about the lamps and how you don't put them under your bed. And, and people had responded well, and they just wanted more and more. But by the end of the day, he was exhausted. And so in the late afternoon, he tells us, men, it's time to, to leave the western shores, go to the eastern shores of the Sea of Galilee. Now, we call it the sea, but it's really not like a sea. It's really more like a lake. The Sea of Galilee is about 13, 14 miles long. It's maybe seven, eight, nine miles wide in its widest uh, area. It's uh, smaller than Lake Tahoe by a lot. It's uh, surrounded on the eastern side, especially really the whole northern section, but especially on the eastern side, the northeast, it's surrounded by mountains and huge cliffs. And these cliffs are narrow gorges. And when the northern winds from the north of Israel, when they, when they blow down towards the, the Sea of Galilee, they come through those gorges, and the gorges become almost like wind tunnels as the wind picks up its speed. When it collides with the warm air rising from the Sea of Galilee, you can get these huge storms that come up just instantly. And so that particular day, Jesus and his disciples, they got in the boat, he went to the back and laid down. He was exhausted. He wanted to take a nap. There was a leather cushion there that where the helmsman would sit and lay and when he would uh, steer the boat. And so he'd put his head down on the, on the pillow, and before you know it, he was out. Now, when they left that day, the sky was clear. It all looked fine, but as evening fell and they find themselves out in the middle of the water, 
all of a sudden those winds from the north began to blow. They began to come down through those wind tunnels, hit the warm air coming up from the Sea of Galilee. And all of a sudden, these experienced fishermen that Jesus had turned a little craft over to, they've been sailing these seas his whole, their whole life. All of a sudden, they look at each other, they caught each other's eye, and they, they all knew what they meant. That those winds continued to get dangerous. The winds that would kick up were so powerful that the ancient writers who write about this would describe the winds with words called like hurricane, like, um, like whirlwinds. They caught each other's eyes. It was now dark, and sure enough, the, wave, the, the wind continued. And the waves began to kick up, and they got higher and higher and higher. And that little boat was now rising and now falling and now rising and now falling. It was, it was becoming like their own version of a perfect storm. Water was beginning to come over the bow into the boat. The men, it was now all hands on deck. They were trying to stand up, trying to keep from capsizing, trying to bail out the water. Everyone was doing all that they could. Though these were experienced seamen, they were scared for their lives. They were beginning to panic. They knew that if something didn't happen soon, they were going to die. And it's about at this point that someone looks back and in the darkness you can see this lump at the back of the boat and they realize their leader and their teacher, he's still asleep. He's covered with water, his clothes are soaked. Hard to believe in this storm and being thrashed around that he could be sleeping, but there he was sleeping like a baby. They couldn't believe it. They needed his help. Half of them were irritated with him. How could he be sleeping at a time like this? And when they opened their mouth to speak and finally got the courage to wake him up, both sides came out. Some were screaming, Lord, why don't you save us? Others were saying, what are you doing? Don't you care if we drown? Today we come to the section that we've been in, the Sermon on the Mount, the last uh, three weeks. It's a section that starts in Matthew 6, verse 19. It goes through the end of the chapter, verse 34. It's a section where Jesus is talking to us about what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in the area of our priorities. The key verse of this section is Matthew 6.33, familiar verse. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his movement, his agenda. Our top priority in life should be what is God doing and how should I be a part of it and his righteousness. And in this passage, Jesus realizes that there are many things that can distract us from seeking first the kingdom. We talked about one of them two weeks ago. We talked about materialism and the love of money. Remember that? No one can serve two masters. Today he comes and he talks about the second area that can distract us, and it's much more mundane but no less deadly, and he calls it the worries of life, just the stuff of life. You know, how do we pay the bills? How do we get the kids to their soccer games? What are we going to do with mom? She's getting older. What about retirement? What about health? What about the kids? What's going to happen? Just the worries of life. And Jesus is going to say that as though it seems like no big deal, actually the worries of life can be deadly spiritually. They can sidetrack us. And so he spends a long time talking about it. So if you have your Bibles, let's, uh, let's look what he says. It's Matthew 6 and verse uh, 25. He says, therefore. Now, whenever the Bible says, therefore, you always have to stop and you say, have to ask the question, what was just said? Because what was just said is what is going about to be built on what is going to be said. And so what he's just said in verse 24, he's told us that no one can serve two masters. The end of the verse says you cannot serve God in money. So Jesus says as his followers in his kingdom that you and I, there's only room for one top priority in our life. It can be God or it can be something else. In this case, it could be God or money. It could be God in anything, right? 
but there's only room for one top priority because if we have another priority other than God in our life, what we will do is when push comes to shun, we'll go with the other priority. So he's just said, I don't want you to be focused on money in your life and materialism because if you do, you can't focus on my kingdom. Seek first my kingdom. So now he's going to give us the second distraction, which is worry. And so he says, uh, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you will wear, because is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? So God has given us life, right? Each one of us, we've been given a life. God's given us a body in which to live this life. And he says, hey, there are more things important in life than what you eat or drink or how you clothe your body. He's like, life is about seeking first my kingdom. I've got a purpose for your life. I've got a plan for your life. And if you're all worried about this other things, how you're going to stay alive, you can't be focusing on what's most important in life. And so he gives a couple examples here. The first one's from nature. Now remember, when Jesus is giving this teaching, he's on the hillside. He's looking down over the Sea of Galilee. You probably have green grass, probably have wildflowers around. You probably have birds flying overhead. He's out in nature. And so he uses a couple illustrations from nature. Verse 25, therefore, uh, verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, so they don't plant. They don't reap or harvest. They don't store away in barns. They don't save up for the future. And yet your heavenly Father, he feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, here's a core concept we'll come back to again and again. But what Jesus is saying, and he's been teaching this throughout the Sermon on the Mount, is that when a person gives their life to Christ to follow Jesus, that they enter into a new relationship with God, and God becomes their father. And what he's saying here is this father, not only does he love you, not only does he know everything about you, but your father runs the universe. Your father is the one who created the universe. Now, we kind of have this modern mindset that they're like laws of nature or something, as if there's just arbitrary things that control things. And Jesus says, no, that's not true. The God who created the universe, he runs the universe. He sustains the universe, right? He moves the molecules that move. And so he says, look at the birds. He says, God not only created them, he sustains them. And don't you think you're more important than the birds? And he throws in a second reason why we shouldn't worry. First one is it's unnecessary because God is going to take care of you. But 27, he says, and for who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? So the second thing is that worry doesn't work. We'll talk more about this later on. But the idea is you're worried about how you're going to stay alive. Now, remember, these people he's talking to, these are very poor people. Uh, We have a hard time understanding that kind of poverty. But when Jesus taught them earlier in the chapter to pray for their daily bread, he wasn't saying it for a wall plaque. He's telling them because they didn't know where their daily bread was coming from. These are people living hand to mouth. And so what he's telling them is even in the most basic needs of life, you can trust God. Even when it's a life and death situation, like your your daily food, you can uh, trust in God. And he says, now, so you're worried, right? You're worried about what you're going to eat and how you're going to survive in life. He says, but catch this. He says, uh, no matter uh, how much you worry, you're not going to extend your life by even an hour, even a day, you see? So it doesn't work. 
Then he comes back to his initial illustration about nature again, and he says, verse 28, And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies or the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor, they don't spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, and of course he was the greatest king and most well-dressed, who was voted most uh, best-dressed king in history. Uh, he was sort of the fashion king as well as the other king. But he says, uh, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, uh, it's thrown into the fire. They, they would take the grass of the field, they'd let it dry, then they'd throw it into their earthen little ovens that they would cook their meals on. And so he says, if that's how he handles the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown in the fire, will he not much, uh, uh, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith. Now catch that word there. We're going to come back to it later on, all right? You have little faith. So verse 31, so he says, so, uh, so because God is your father, so because he knows every need in your life, so because your father loves you and because he runs the universe, because all of these reasons and because worry doesn't work, so instructions do not worry, saying what should we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? For the pagans, those who don't know God, right, those who don't know they have a father, those who don't understand how the universe works, the pagans. For the pagans, they run after all these things. Uh, Jesus says we are not to be like material people. Remember that, that whole song, Madonna's thing, you know, I'm a material girl. He says followers of Jesus, we're not to be material people. We're to be spiritual people. And so there's these pagans, they, they spend their whole life running after, seeking after material things. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? He says, I don't want you worried about that because there's something more important about life. It's my kingdom, what I'm doing in and through your life. I want you to be focused on that. So he says, your heavenly father, he knows you need them. Verse 33. So seek first his kingdom like his movement, his agenda in your life, his righteousness, the right way to live, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen? (laughs) Amen. Hey, one thing before we jump in. Now, I want to say this. This is important. Is that Jesus is not saying in this passage that we should not work hard, Right? Uh, the birds, have you ever watched a bird? They work really hard for their food. Right? So he's not saying don't work hard. The book of Proverbs in the Old Testament teaches us that we are as, we're to work hard, that we are to plan ahead, that we are to save for a rainy day. These, so Jesus is not saying don't work hard, don't think, be irresponsible. Uh, what he's saying is do what you need to do, but don't worry the topic today is worry, not, not work. All right, now, here's what I want to do. In the time that we have today, I want to break this down and talk, come at it at a couple different angles. The first thing I want to do is I want to talk about three major principles that Jesus is laying out about worry as followers of Jesus Christ. What is, as, as followers of Jesus, what does it look like to deal with the area of worry? He's got three kind of big picture principles that flow out of this passage. Secondly, Then I want to come back at the end, and we won't have a lot of time for this, but I want to get as practical as I can and say, okay, so what happens? You're in the middle of the night. You cannot sleep. You're laying there in bed. Your stomach is churning. You're turning from side to side, and you're just worried. You're just sick. What do we do in times like that? How do we deal practically with worry? So let's start with the principles. Let's jump in. There in your note sheet, you have a section that says uh, the big picture, 
uh, Jesus' worry and uh, priorities. And uh, here we go. Number one, the first principle is that worry according to Jesus. And this is going to catch you off guard a little bit, but it's so important we get this. According to Jesus, unlike what it seems, kind of counterintuitive, worry is a big deal. It's a big deal, and it can derail us spiritually. Now, you know, on the surface, I don't think we would have guessed this. We think Jesus would have talked to us about some major area of sin. This can derail you. We understand money and materialism. That can derail us. But when he comes to us and says, no, really, the worries of this life, they can derail you. My first response is, really? You know, I don't don't know if I would have figured that one out. He says, yes, really. That this can actually, because what happens as human beings is when our mind is worried, we basically become on the sidelines of life. We are no longer in the game spiritually because our minds are so wrapped up in the worry, we really become immune to what God is saying, God is doing in, in our situation. And so uh, Jesus, the big picture of this passage is he wants us to understand that worry is a big deal. Now, he tells us a story once to illustrate this. Now, some of you have been Christians a long time, and you've heard this story. Um, others of you are brand new. We have so many new people that's coming to Christ, and you're here, and you don't have a big church background or anything. We're just so glad you're here. So let me just kind of lay out this story uh, for all of us. So this is one of Jesus' stories, his short stories, that he told the day that he was in the boat, same, same day that we started earlier. So Jesus says, once upon a time, there was a, a farmer And he went out to plant his fields. And in this story, Jesus is the farmer. And the seed that he's planting is his word. It's his message about life. And so Jesus says that he is walking through all of our lives and he is casting his word. He's delivering his word to us. And what he says is that different people respond differently to his teaching. And he gives us four examples. I'm sure there's more, but he gives us four examples. He said, okay, person number one, this person is simply not interested in what Jesus has to say. Now, you were probably like this one time before you came to Christ. Um, But this person doesn't really care, not interested, um, just don't want to hear it. It's moving on. And so the seed falls, and it's just uh, removed. It doesn't even sprout up. It doesn't even get started in life. The second kind of person, a little different, they're a person, they hear Jesus' teaching, and they love it. They say, this guy's amazing. I've never heard anything like this. I love this guy. I can't get enough. And they're growing like crazy. Their plants spring up. But there's a couple things that they didn't count on, a couple misconceptions. First of all, they didn't count. They kind of assumed that everyone would be as excited about them following Jesus as they are. <laughs> uh, wrong assumption. Uh, the second assumption is, is that if they gave their life to Jesus, that he would protect them from all hard times. <laughs> uh, wrong assumption number two. And so Jesus says what happens, they're growing away, but when hard times come or when persecution comes because they're following Jesus, they say, oh, I'm out of here. I didn't know that was part of the package. And so their seeds wither, their plants wither and die. That's number two. The number four kind of person and we're going to come back to three. Number four, they're the kind of person we all want to be. They're the kind of person that listen to the teaching of Jesus, love the teaching of Jesus, start following Jesus. They're growing like a weed, going really great guns, and, uh, and they just never stop. They never stop. They never quit, and their life just becomes amazing as Jesus' word transforms them, and they have this huge harvest in their life, in, in the metaphor. 
Now, the number three kind of person, this is the, the person who always surprises me. This is what I never, if I was there, I never would have seen that one, this one coming. Jesus, number three kind of person, they hear the word. They love Jesus. They love his teaching. You gotta hear this guy. He's amazing. And they, they begin following and they begin growing and their plant starts coming up and they're doing really well. And then Jesus says, there's these um, weeds that prop up around it and they're actually like thorns, like a thorn bush. And this thorn bush gets, kind of grows up and it chokes the life out. It can't get, their, their plant can't get any sun, can't get any water. It chokes the life out. And so, good start, but they die. And you read this story, and if it's the first time you've heard it, I think you'd be asking, like, what in the world could be so powerful that would choke the life, the spiritual life out of a person? What would be so powerful that could take the word of God and just choke it to where a person dies and stops following Jesus after buying in so hard? Like, what would happen? Like, what could be that powerful? And I think if it's the first time you hear it, you think, well, it's got to be something big. And it's like, maybe it's murder, you know? <laughs> maybe it's like a, a kind of a huge, like ongoing sexual sin. It's got to be something big, right? And Jesus says, no, actually, it's not. In fact, I put it there on your note sheet. So in chapter 4 of Mark, he says, uh, but still others, like seed sown among the thorns. That's our third person. They hear the word. And early in the story, he told us they start growing like crazy. But then, and I want you to underline what happens. What happens is that the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says, oh, here's what happened. They're growing like a weed. They're growing like crazy. And then one of two things comes in. Either it's, it's the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things. We call that money materialism, right? Either that comes in and swamps out the word of God, or it's the what? The worries of this life. Now, it's so interesting because these are exactly the two issues Jesus is talking about in the second half of Matthew 6, our passage for today. Two weeks ago, he said you cannot serve God in money, right? Lay up your, your treasures in heaven. He says one of the things that can keep you from focusing in on my kingdom and my righteousness, top priority, is money. That's one of them. The second one is the one we're talking about today, the worries of this life, you see? And so twice Jesus has said that you have to understand this, that worry has the power to take you out of the game spiritually. Worry can send you to the sidelines, and you miss what God wants to do in your life and what he's doing in your life in and through you simply because of worry. So the first principle is that worry is a big deal. It can derail us. Now, number two. The second principle is that worry, according to Jesus, worry is a waste of time. And, and furthermore, it's the pastime of pagans. It's a waste of time, pastime of pagans. Um, this is so important. First thing, worry is a waste of time. Um, now, this is important for them to tell us because we often would not figure this out on our own. One of the reasons that we worry, and in fact, check this out in your own life, see if it's true. One of the reasons that we worry is because we believe deep down, there's a, a belief in our heart that worry works. Really. This is one of the You see, I may not be able to change anything, but I can sure worry about it. And that's my part. Right? That's what I'm doing. There, deep inside of us, there's a belief that if I worry 
I'm working towards the answer. And so if, if I'm, in fact, this is my contribution to the solution is worry. In fact, if we see someone that has a big problem in their life and they're not worried, we're probably going to think they're irresponsible. They're like, I can't believe you're so at peace. You're so irresponsible. You need to be worried about this. <laughs> yes, pray, then worry. Prayer is God's part. Worry is your part. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, this is a deep deception. This is an illusion. Worry does not work. It doesn't make things better. And that's why he said in verse 27, you can worry all you want about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and how you're going to survive in life, but the reality is all your worry is not going to extend your life by a single hour. It doesn't work. But more than that, he says, but more than that, (laughs) you have to understand, worry is pagan. At its core, worry is pagan activity. You're like, what? Really? He says, yes. He says, I understand if you're a pagan, it makes sense to worry. Because if your God is Zeus, believe me, you've got something to worry about. Right? Have you ever read Greek or Roman mythology? I mean, these, these guys are unpredictable. Right? So if Zeus is your God, if Aphrodite is your God, if Hermes is your God, if these are, if these are your gods, yes, then worry makes sense because you don't know what to expect in life. There may be something you just ticks them off, and then they're coming after you, or they're not going to ruin your field or whatever. So if you're a pagan, worry makes sense. But Jesus says, if you're my follower, and if you have a father... And if your father is the one who loves you and you're the apple of his eye, and if it's true that he never takes his eye off of you, and if there's never anything in your life you're going to think of that he forgot, and if your father is the creator and sustainer of the universe, if your father is one who feeds the birds and clothes, if that is true, then you don't need to worry. You see? Worry at its core is pagan. It's exactly what he says. Look what he says. In, uh, take your Bibles. Look in uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Catch this. The pagans run after these things. This is pagan thinking, approach to life. He says, but for you, your heavenly Father knows you need them. So you don't need to be worried because you got someone worrying for you. See, God is taking care of it. And, and if you're clear on that, then, then worry is not, not necessary. Uh, one of my uh, favorite authors who's uh, kind of been like a mentor to me in this area is Oswald Chambers. I know a lot of you read Oswald. Uh, he's got a daily devotional that's called My Utmost for His Highest. He's also written about 30 other books, and he wrote one on the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to quote him a couple times today. But he is just awesome in this whole area of worry. Look what he says. I put the quote there for you. He says, suppose God is the God you know him to be when you are nearest to him. Now, in your life and my life, there are times in our life we feel close to God. There are times when we feel far from God, Right? And, and those times, he says, when, when you're closest to God, life gets really clear, doesn't it? You're just really clear on who he is, who you are, how life works. You're really clear. He says, so suppose God is the God you know him to be when you're nearest to him. 
what an impertinent war is. How inappropriate. How unnecessary. He says, it's not only wrong to worry, it is infidelity. Because worrying means that we do not think that God can look after the practical details of our lives. Now, once we accept the revelation of Jesus Christ, what he's revealed, that God is our Father, this is what he's been teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount. Once we understand that and catch us, and we can never think of anything he will forget. Now, underline that one. That's worth the price of sermon alone, right? You, you will never think of anything that God will forget. Do you ever have moments in your life when suddenly you realize you have a problem and you feel a need to run to God to let him know? Do you ever have those moments? I have these moments all the time. Like all of a sudden, oh, oh, that's right. I've got another sermon series. What are we going to talk about? What's another sermon series? Hey, Lord, um, just want to make sure you're aware of this. We're, we're winding down the message in the movement, and we've got a, we need another series. And so uh, could you be working on that? Because you know how this works. You, you give it to me, I give it to them. If you don't give anything to me, I don't have anything to deliver. And so could you be, and I emotionally, I honestly feel like, oh, it caught me off guard. I'm sure he hasn't thought of it. <laughs> now, isn't that ridiculous? It's like pagan, right? It's totally pagan thinking. But that's what happens. And so all of a sudden, a bill comes in the mail. Oh, I, I forgot about that insurance bill. Uh, all of a sudden, oh, your kid gets really sick. It's like, oh, I never thought my life would be that way. Uh, well, what about, you see, and something happens, and we, we get thrown as if, oh, God, you know, come and help. You know, as if he didn't know. I love this. God, you'll never think of anything in your life that God is not already aware of. It's such a comfort. And then he goes on and he says, um, he says, once, once, so once we accept the revelation of Jesus Christ, what he's revealed, that God is our Father, we can never think of anything he'll forget, then worry becomes impossible. So what does this mean? What it means is that worry is like a dashboard, it's like a, a warning light on the dashboard of your life. And when it comes on, what it's saying is pagan, 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 <laughs> pagan, pagan. <laughs> You're thinking like a pagan, thinking like a pagan. And what it also means what it means is that we have not yet come to know our Father like we need to come to know our Father. See, see where is this indication, hey, we're not clear on who God is. We've just got some more room to grow. If we were clear on this, we wouldn't, need, we wouldn't be worrying. It would be impossible. Okay, number three. This leads to number three. That one of Jesus' top priorities for your life, for my life, one of his top priorities is to teach us to trust One of his top priorities is to teach us to trust. I want you to look at uh, something Jesus says in chapter 6 here and go back to verse 30. I pointed this out when we're going through. Um, if that's how God clothes the grass of the fields here today, gone tomorrow, thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Now catch this, O you of little faith. Now, now underline that, little faith. Now, in the Greek language, that's actually a single word. Not two words, it's a single word. It's uh, oligopistoi, oligopistoi. It's sort of like uh, Jesus' pet name for his disciples. <laughs> he only calls them that. Never calls Pharisees that, never calls the crowds that. Only calls his inner circle, hey, oligopistoi. 
Um, it's a little pet name, Little Face. It's like one word, uh, little and face put together, Little Face. And it just cracks me up. You know, it's just like his little pet name. Hey, Little Face, Little Face. Um, okay, watch, watch, listen, listen. Little Face, got a lesson for you. Little Face. Oligopistoi, here we go. Oligopistoi. Yes, grasshopper. No. <laughs> Little face. You see, here's, here's the reality. When we start to follow Jesus, we are all oligopistoi. When you start following, we are all, we start off that way, right? We start off as little face. And maybe some of you start off with great faith, but most of us probably start off, we're oligopistoi. We're, we're little face. We, uh, we don't have big faith. And, and here's the point, that Jesus wants to grow us as his followers till we're not little face, but full of faith. That's where we're going. And the Christian journey, this journey with Jesus, one of his top priorities is to take us from being oligopistoi to full of faith. That's where he's taking us. Now, sometimes in order to grow us up in this area, to take us to the place of faith where Jesus, see, Jesus doesn't have the same worries you and I do. He didn't have those same worries. Because he was clear on who the Father was, his life was full of peace. And he wants you and I to experience that same peace. He wants to move us from the land of fear to the land of faith, which is the land of freedom, which is the land of focus on his kingdom. See, that's where he wants to take us. You get that? We're moving from fear to faith to freedom to focus. That's where he's taking us. And it's a journey. And sometimes he has to allow us to go through storms in life to learn this lesson. It's the story we started the day with, I love this story. One of my favorite Jesus stories. You know, he's the back of the boat. He's asleep. Water's coming over. The boat's about to sink. It's the middle of the night. His men are freaking out. They're panicking. They're experienced guys, but the boat's about to go down. They're really upset, right? And so they, they all of a sudden realize Jesus is not, not with them on this, and they, they need to wake him up. And so, so you hear the frustration in their voice. If you read the account, some of them are yelling, Lord, save us. The others are yelling, don't you care? We are about to drown. Now, let me ask you something. Have you ever been in a storm in your life where you had those same feelings? Have you been there? You have a storm in your life, and you feel like you're about to go down, and Jesus, the best you can tell, is sleeping on the job. Right? He is not where he needs to be. He is not fulfilling his Son of God job description. And his disciples are ticked off. They are irritated. You wake him up. No, you wake him up. I, hey, I woke him up last time. No one wants to wake up Jesus, but they're about to sink. But when they do wake him up, they are irritated because they are panicked and he's asleep on the job. And half of them are saying, Lord, save us. And half is saying, don't you care? We are about to drown. Have you been there? So Jesus gets up. I don't know what they expected him to do, but he gets up, and they didn't expect this. He gives the word, and the winds stop, and those huge waves that they're surrounded with just gently recede back down into the placid lake from where they came. And then he looks at him, and I love this question. It's my favorite Jesus moments. <laughs> he looks at him, and he says, so why are you so afraid? <laughs> are you kidding me? 
we almost just died. Maybe that's why. I just love Jesus. Why are you so afraid? Hello? And his next question, where is your faith? Uh, back on shore, maybe? And then I love his next question, do you still not get it? Now, let me tell you why I love these questions. Because the questions show me what Jesus wants to do in my life. The questions show me that Jesus was genuinely surprised that they were so afraid. After all that he'd shown them, after all that he'd taught them, after all they've seen, he thought they were getting a better handle. That when you're, it doesn't matter, it's, you are safer with Jesus in the midst of the storm than anywhere else on land. That was the lesson. And he thought they would get it, and they just weren't getting it. And I love it because it shows me where Jesus wants to take us. You see, he's asleep in the back of the boat in the midst of the storm because he knows who his father is. He wants to take us so we can sleep in the middle of our storms. That's where he's taking us. But sometimes to get us there, he has to take us into the storm where we learn the lesson. Well, it's kind of an awkward moment. They, uh, I don't think they knew what to say. <clears throat> so they went back to their seats. And you could almost hear them as they're muttering under their breath. I don't think they said this to him with his face. But this is what they said under their breath. Who is this guy? <laughs> the text says that they were terrified. Not terrified of the, of the storm. They were terrified a few minutes a moment. That storm's gone. They are terrified who is this guy who speaks to wind and waves? Can I tell you something? It's in the midst of our storms that we learn who Jesus is. And that's why he allows us to go there. You know, Jesus said something so amazing. It's not in your note sheet, so write this down somewhere. It's John 14, 27. It's at the... Uh, end of his life. He's been about to be arrested. His disciples' lives are about to blow apart. They're scared to death. And that last evening with him, he says, I have a gift for you. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace, the peace I experience in my life, my peace I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. In the midst of the biggest storm of their life, in a few hours, he's going to be arrested. He says, you know what? I have a gift for you. I have the ability to give you my peace. What is his peace? Jesus' peace is a peace that has nothing to do with our surrounding storm. Jesus' peace is the eye of the hurricane. It is the place of safety in the midst of the storm. And a few hours before he's arrested, he's able to give them his peace and says, this is where I'm teaching you. I want you to experience in your life the same, the same peace that allows me to go to sleep in the back of a boat in the midst of the storm. That's where he's taking us. Okay, it's a process, isn't it? Now, the time we have left, I want to get <laughs> as practical as I can. Um, we've, we've talked three big picture principles. Uh, worry's a big deal. It can sidetrack us. Uh, it doesn't work. It's the kind of activity of pagan minds. And, and then beyond that, he wants to teach us how to trust, to move into his, his place of peace. So we've learned these big principles. But 
I want to get as practical as possible. Uh, what do you do when you're life, when you're really struggling with worry? And, and, and I realize that there's no silver bullet here. There's no magic trick. There's not one principle I can tell you that solves it. This solves it all the time. Part of this is just our growth experience with Jesus, that we have to grow with him. We have to walk with him. We have to go through storms with him. This is how we see who he is, and this is how we get the peace, is through uh, kind of partnering with him through life. But I want to get as practical as I can. And so I want to share with you four steps you can take, four practical suggestions when you're going through times of worry that have been very helpful to me personally in my life. Number one, the first step in terms of coping with worry is to write it down. When you find yourself going through a time when you're just, beside, you're just kind of overcome with worry, the waves of worry are coming over the, 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 uh, the bow of your boat, um, the first thing you need is write it down. This is especially helpful in the middle of the night. Uh, if you ever had this experience, middle of the night, your mind is going crazy. You can't sleep. You're tossing. You're turning. You're trying to go to sleep. You cannot go to sleep. And, and have you ever noticed how worry tends to build on itself? It's kind of like one of those nuclear accelerators that every time it goes around the ring, it gets faster and faster and faster, right? One worry leads to the next fear, and it leads to the next fear, and it leads to the next fear, and pretty soon the whole world's blowing up. And, and it's just it's chaotic, and it's crazy, and it's got a life of its own. And oftentimes, when we're attacked by worry, we're not even sure exactly what we're worried about. We have, we have some general ideas, we have some general anxiety, but we're not always sure, like, well, well, what is it you're worried about? Well, I'm not sure I have to think about it. Okay, this is an exercise to help you think about it. So I encourage you, you're in the middle of the night, you can't sleep, don't try to go to sleep, get up. Get up, take out your notepad, take out your journal, and just begin to write down what are your fears, and be as specific as possible. Let me say, I'm, gonna, well, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. What else are you afraid of? Well, I'm afraid how my mother thinks of me. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you lost it again. Um, I, I'm afraid of, uh, uh, I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to be on the street. I, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my friends. You know, what are the fears that are driving you? Write them down. Here's what happens. I found this out. That when you write down your fears, when you name them, when you name them, it's the first step to having power over them. So write down your worries, be as specific as you can. Number two, second step is to fix what you can. Now, all of your worries are going to be one of two kinds. Think of them like you have a desk in front of you, you're going to separate them out. One pile of worries is worries that you can't fix, you have no control over. The other pile is worries that you can fix, you have control over. You're worried that your car is going to fall apart, that muffler is going to come off. Well, you've been worried about that for three months, right? It's been rattling for three months, and you're worried about that, and then you're worried it's going to have a negative impact on the engine and all. Okay, so all this principle is saying is separate it out, and the ones that you can fix, fix. And often we procrastinate, and what happens is our mind becomes it's like this huge collage of worry. It's a collage between things that we can control and things we can't control. And they just tend to bounce like a, pen, like a pinball machine. They just ping all over from things you can to things you can't. You can't even tell the difference. So separate them out. Write them down. Separate them out. And the things that you can control, make that phone call. Take the car in. You're worried about your child and how they're doing in their third grade class because you haven't heard from the teacher in three months. Call the teacher. Find out. Take action, okay? Number three. Number three. 
The third step is to turn over, no pun intended, (laughs) as you turn your pages, turn over what you can't. So we got two piles, things you can change, things you can't fix. Um, The things that you can't fix, you're going to need to turn them over to God. You're going to need to transfer responsibility. You're going to turn them over. Now, this is a spiritual act, and the way we do this is through prayer. The things that we can't control, we have to take to God one by one and process that and turn it over to God. This is what the apostles or the disciples did on the boat. The storm comes up. They think they can handle it. They're experienced seamen. And so they try to fix what they can. When they can't fix it, they turn the problem over to Jesus. And this is kind of metaphorically what we're doing. We're saying, I can't control this one. I'm turning it over. Now, the Apostle Paul dealt with worry in his life. Uh, He worried about his friend Epaphroditus. He was going to die. He worried about the churches he started. They're going to go bad. He dealt with worry. And so God taught him over time how to deal with worry in his life. And he gives us advice on how to do this, how to turn things over in Philippians chapter 4. And I put it there in your note sheet. Let's look what he says, what his advice is. He says, uh, first of all, first rule is don't be anxious about anything. So this is important. It's an important place to start. That God doesn't want you to live in the land of fear. In fact, one of the most common commands in the Bible is to fear not. So as a follower of Jesus, he wants to move you from fear to faith. He doesn't want you to live in the land of fear. And so he says, don't be anxious for anything, big, small, or in between. He says, but in everything, in every situation, again, big, small, or in between, in everything, anything that's causing you worry, here's what you need. By prayer and petition, the prayer is processing it with God, petition, we're making our requests. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, keeping perspective of what God's done in the past, we're to present our requests to God. So he says, when you're worried, in anything you're worried about, you are to take it to God and you're to present it and present your requests to God. God, here's what I need. He says, now if you do that, the peace of God, remember we talked about the peace of Jesus. He's able to sleep in the back of the boat. So the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. It's, it's supra-rational. It's beyond logic, Okay. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Satan is trying to get at you, worry about this, worry about that, worry about this. And, and, Jesus, and Paul says, you turn it over to God, and if you do this uh, well, then God will set a guard around you that will protect your hearts from worry. Now, what I found in my own life is this is not a one-time process. This is a multiple-time process. There's things I worry about that I have to go back to again and again and again. You just repeat this process however many times it takes. And let me tell you one more thing. It's so important that when you're doing this, that you are as specific as possible. Remember I talked about writing down your fears, being as specific as possible. It's very important when you process with God, you take them specifically to him. Like, give me an example. This week I, I, had, I got news that a, a friend of mine, um, a good friend, and the friends in ministry. And a good friend, they're going through some major hard times, and it was just super bad news for me. And, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. And it was like, I think I'm probably going to have to confront this person. 
And, and all of a sudden, man, I'm just, I'm just hit like, like, a, like a Mack truck because somehow my mind is thinking faster than I am aware of and I can begin to see the repercussions or ramifications. And so all these things begin to hit me like, well, should I confront them? Isn't my place? If so, when do I confront them? How do I confront them? What do I say? Um, do I get wise counsel? If so, from whom would that be breaking uh, confidences? Um, what's going to be the impact on their ministry? What's going to impact on our friendship? Where is this going? And it all hits like that, doesn't it? It's just when something like this hits you, a worry hits you, boom, it's just multifaceted. And so, so what I needed to do is the next day when I spend time with praying through this, obviously you're kind of throwing up the quick prayers as you go, but the next day I really need to process this. I need to get along with God and process this. I began to write down in my journal, Mike, what are you afraid of? I don't know, fill the page. Here's what it is. I'm afraid of this. 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 Because I've, I've got a great planning mind. And great planning minds are usually great worry minds, right? Because you can see the future, and that can, like, hurt you sometimes. And so I, I can see the ramifications of this. And I, I filled the page. And then it was one by one to take each one of those fears. God, I need to bring this one to you. God, I need to bring this one to you. I need your help with this one. I need your wisdom in this one. Give me discernment in this one, right? And one by one, and Jesus says, this is what we need to do. You turn it over to the Father one step at a time, and he says, and the peace of God will begin. Now, do you think that peace would have come if I just said, God, this is a mess. Would you help me? Amen. No. No. No, we need to, in everything, <laughs> in everything, Present each fear over to him. Now, number four, one last one. We need to practice living in the present. This is one of my favorites. Um, Jesus teaches this in chapter 6 and verse 34. Let's take a quick look. (coughs) Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Live in the present. Live in the day. For God, there's only a unit of time. It's the day. This is the day the Lord has made. And this is one of the great lessons uh, that Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He wants us to live in the day. Live in the present. Be in the now. You know, there's certain lessons in my life that um, God teaches me periodically. Do you have lessons like that? It's like he kind of takes you back to. And there's certain ones that's like, oh, no, here it comes again. That's usually it. But there are certain lessons that are just like love. Like when they start coming up, you go, oh, good, I get to see that movie again. I just love this movie. You know, it's like I want to learn this lesson. And this is one of them. It's a lesson that God's been teaching me for years and periodically just keeps bringing me back to it. It's, Mike, I want you to live in the day. And if I could put it into words, it would go something like this. Mike, I live in the present. This is the day that I've made. That's even my name. My name is I am. It's not I was. It's not I will be. I am I am. And so what I want you to do, Mike, I know your life. I know your your stresses. I know your limitations. I know your resources. I know your problems. I I know your deadlines. I know all the stuff you have. But just trust me, I just want you to live in the day. I want you to focus on what I'm giving you to do today. That's it. As if today were the only day. Because the only day I can meet you in is today. And so I want you to do life with me today. I want you to worry about the future. I want you to worry about the past. Just do life today. Now, today might be a day for planning about the future. That's fine. If that's what's on the agenda. But today is the day. And you know, it's such an incredible way to live. 
And those times in my life when he's teaching me, like the last couple weeks he's been teaching me this lesson again, my next rendition of it. And it's just what a beautiful way to live. It's a place of freedom. It's a place of focus. Like all I got to, it's just, it's just today. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. It's just today, just he and I. What's on the, on the, the plate for today? What a place of freedom. I love how Oswald puts this. There you know, she will end with this quote. Jesus is laying down for us. He's talking about this passage in the Sermon on the Mount we've been studying. Jesus is laying down for us the rules of conduct for those who have his spirit. And it works on this principle. Here it is. God's my father. He loves me. I shall never think of anything he will forget. So why should I worry? It's one of the severest disciplines of the Christian life to allow the Holy Spirit to bring us into harmony with the teaching of Jesus in these verses. But man, is it worth it. What a place to live where it's all about today. Jesus, just you and I, just today, that's all of life is about today. Just live the day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this amazing passage, one of my favorite in all the word. God, we just tell us who you are and therefore why we don't need to worry and just be about today. We pray, God, that you would be writing this lesson on our heart and teaching us even this week how to move out and to trust you in new ways. And we pray this in your name. Amen. And then awesome that, that uh, as followers of Jesus, Jesus says, hey, you have a father. And if you have a father, you have more than enough. You don't need to spend, waste your time worrying because I've got bigger and better things planned for your life. I got a purpose for your life. We're, we got a movement going on here. We got a message to take out to people. We got a world to take over. Don't worry about your stuff. I'll take care of your stuff. You worry about what's most important in life. And, and, and it really works because, don't forget, you have a father. And if you have a father, that's more than enough. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, Thanks for listening.